Amen. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and uh, turn to uh, the book of Romans. We're in Romans chapter 8 this morning, and uh, I know a lot of you were traveling last week. We were in chapter 7, and so uh, I, I'm not going to go through everything that I uh, did last week, but uh, hopefully you had a chance to listen, or, or better yet, uh, see that sermon, because I had some visual illustration. I'm just going to share a little bit with you, just to catch us up where we were at in, in Romans chapter 7, and, and, and I used some Tupperware to explain that, and I, I, watched, I think I had chili in this this week, but uh, now now it's good again. We're we're back on. Uh, like what? If you weren't here last year, like what in the week is what in the world is going on there? Um, and, and I basically said up until this point, Paul has been basically doing a survey of salvation history. That in Genesis one, two, three, uh, God created man. It was good. Uh, then sin entered into the world. Sin entered into Adam. Death entered into the world. And then we were reminded in Romans chapter five that you and I and all who ever lived all the image bearers, our, our immediate state when we take our first breath is to be born into Adam and Adam is in sin and sin is in us and the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23 tells us. And so there was this picture of you but you had sin in you and you were in sin and you were in Adam and you were in death and that was our spiritual state. There was no way of getting out of that. There was no moral, uh, you know, fortitude that could bust out of that spiritual state. So it had to be all grace, all mercy of God. And so then I I showed that it was a different picture here. So I said, this is actually a picture of you. Maybe you remember some of this. Um, So there you are. And, and the Bible describes that if you're in Christ, that Christ is also in you. That's the, that's the blue, uh, the, being back there. Christ is in you. There's a picture of you. And in the moment that you have turned and trusted in him by grace through faith, Christ took you out of sin, took you out of death, took you out of Adam and, and transferred you. Colossians 1 says, transferred you from the domain of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of the son God loves. And then later in Colossians 1, Colossians 3, uh, and throughout the book of Romans, it describes us that Christ is in us, that, that we are in Christ and that uh, Colossians 3, uh, that Christ is in God. And so this was a, a new picture of, uh, of your life spiritually. And again, you can kind of see yourself in there, but you are surrounded by and dwelt by. You, you have Christ. And we said this is an accurate picture of what, what Paul will describe as our justification. We said salvation has three tenses. It's past, present, and future. This is an accurate description of justification, that Christ is in you. You're in Christ. You're in God. This is who you are. You are seated with him in the heavenly realms. Uh, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. But then we came to Romans chapter 7. And in Romans chapter 7, as Paul has unpacked all this, he takes this radical shift and he explains something very pastorally by explaining his own life. He's explaining our lives. He says, this is true of me absolutely in Christ. I have his righteousness. I have his life. I have his presence in my life. I'm in him. And yet I am frustrated. I am frustrated because practically this isn't yet true of me. Positionally, it's true. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. But practically, that there is still this problem in us. So then that shifts to us to the present tense, sanctification, that, that there is this ongoing battle with sin. So we are still in Christ, and, and Christ is still in us, uh, but, and we are still in God, but there is this ongoing, indwelling sin that is in our lives. And, and the encouragement last week was, don't give up. You're, you're not alone. 
This was true of Paul. This is true of us, that there is a battle, there's a war. Ultimately, the war has been won, but there are battles. There are battles in the mind and the spirit and the soul and the flesh. We still have solidarity with Adam because uh, a day is coming where these actual bodies and these actual minds will be fully redeemed, but we're not at that day yet. And so there's this tension, this battle. Uh, And Paul describes it in very frustrating terms. Did you, do you remember some of that? He, he's just in agony in, in some degree. He's, I, I, I can't, I, I, well, let's look at it in, in, in chapter 7, verse 24. Here, here's what he says, just by way. Because I say all this because this does connect to chapter 8. In verse 24 of chapter 7, he says, he concludes, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? This is what he says. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Do you, do you feel the angst? And I said last week, if you feel any of that, if you feel that in your soul, in your mind, in your relationships, if there's just things that aren't quite right, then it's actually a sign that, that there is some genuine life in you. Like the struggle is indication that, that God is at work in you. We're going to see today that that's one of the things that God in you does. He, he convicts you of sin. There, there is some uh, angst in that. So, so the, again, the encouragement last week was don't give up. You're not alone. Press on. Keep, it's worth the fight. But, but there's, there's a danger because last week didn't conclude or lead us to, well, how do we do it? I mean, he hints at it in verse, that's in the wrong chapter, in verse 25. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. There's going to be something there in our sanctification that is tied. But, but I think here's what happens often in Christianity. We uh, can get the justification very clear. Hey, do you, do, you want, do you want to have eternal life? Do you want to be forgiven of your sins? Do you want to be a new creation? Well, then just trust in Jesus' finished work on the cross, that his death, burial, and resurrection and ascension was in your place for your sin. Then you become a new creation. We're like, yes, all right, it's all grace. There's nothing I could do, nothing I could uh, muster up to earn that. And we, we get that. But then when it comes to this present tense indwelling sin, we can, and even with one another, we can, we can shift from it's all grace to now you've got to try really hard. And now you better, you better buckle up. You, you better put in some effort here. And there is a sense where that's true, but, but there's a bigger sense that you were saved by grace, you will be sustained by grace, and you will enter into glorification by grace. It's grace and still grace and forever grace. Paul puts it this way to the Galatians. He says, foolish Galatians, you who started with the Spirit, you who started with grace, do you now think that you will get there by your own strength? And the answer is an emphatic no. So, so there is a battle to be fought, but how is it fought with grace and not self-effort, self-righteousness, all those things? Well, this is where Paul takes us in chapter 8. Chapter 8. And it's going to be a, he's going to shift his focus entirely in chapter 8 to uh, the Spirit of God. How does the Spirit do his work in us? Uh, of the what was it, 1,189 chapters of the Bible, there is one chapter that is above all of them. It's Romans chapter 8. Of the 31,102 verses of the Bible, there are verses in Romans chapter 8 that are above all of them. 
And, and I, I'm not going to pretend that I can preach to them in such a way. But, but this, this chapter, we're going to slow down a little bit. We're going to do a, 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 the first 11 verses today. And then we're going to do some Christmas messages. But we'll get back in chapter 8 in the new year for a couple more messages. We, we want to be soaking in this chapter. If there is ever a chapter of the Bible that you should memorize, it is Romans chapter 8. So, well, I've never memorized that. I don't even memorize any scripture. Well, fine. If there's ever a verse that you should memorize, it'd be Romans chapter 8, 28. But if there was ever a second verse you should memorize, it'd be Romans 8, 1. And so Paul is going to shift our attention. How, when we have this angst, this indwelling sin, this life that we live in the flesh that still is this struggle, how do we live this out? And so Paul starts, and he's going to show us that it is the Holy Spirit It's his presence and his power that assures victory now and forever. It's his presence and his power that assured victory to bring you to Christ. It's his presence and his power that assures victory to keep you in Christ. It's his presence and power that will assure your victory to bring you into glory. So look at, let's look at it uh, in three kind of sections in chapter eight, verse one. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. On the one hand, that's all that Paul's been saying for several chapters now. But, but don't go too quickly. Don't miss the, the emphasis that he has here. There is therefore now, after he's just said, man, what a wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? After all of his angst and struggle and, and w- with his sin, and he, doesn't, he, he isn't what he wants to be, and he's not there yet, but, but he comes back to this truth. There is therefore now, present tense, no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And again, I believe there's people in here this morning that that's the only word that that you need this morning. That's what you hear because you've come in here and even though you were here last week and even though you know the gospel and you sang it, there is just a a word from yourself or or from the enemy, from from the accuser of the brethren that just said, condemned, you're condemned. And and you've you've heard the accusations. Who do you think you are? I mean, you still think like that. You still act like that. You still treat your spouse like that. You still, like all these things, you're a fraud. Either you're a fraud or there's real no, really no power in the gospel. And over your life is just this, this banner, condemnation, like at a work site, con- condemned, don't go in, not useful, not, not, not there anymore. But, but the first word of, from God for you and for me this morning is, there is therefore now, now no condemnation. This is a good word and it's a reminder of our justification because we know when when sin came into the world, there was condemnation. God handed that down to the serpent and to Adam and to Eve. There was condemnation. In in Romans chapter 5, he says, "When, when, when Adam sinned, we all sinned and we were all condemned. There was condemnation, but now in Christ, there is now no condemnation. And so you just need to let that word uh, sit on your soul, sit in your heart, and be true for you this morning. There is now no condemnation. It reminds me of what Jesus said when he said, when he came, John put it this way, but I tell you the truth, it is good for, that I, oh, that's not the verse I want. My bad. That's not good at all. I'm coming to that one next. Uh, John 3.16. He says this. I put the wrong verse on the slide. Okay. Yeah, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world 
So there's that condemnation again. But in order that the world might be saved through him, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Again, there, there it is. If you're in Christ, there is no condemnation. That's what John said in John 3, 16, 17, 18. Uh, uh, but then in John uh, 16, when Jesus begins to teach about the Holy Spirit, there's a parallel passage to Romans 8. Here's what Jesus said. He says, but I tell you the truth. So this is the night that Jesus is going to be betrayed. And he says, the most important thing, my last words to you are going to be about the Holy Spirit. And he says, but I tell you the truth. It is good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. This is his teaching that says, it's actually better that, that I'm, I'm going to go away. It's better that I'm going to ascend bodily because then I'm going to send my spirit and, and Jesus inside you is better than Jesus beside you. That, that's what he's saying. It'd be cool if Jesus was on the planet now. We'd all kind of follow him around wherever he goes. But, but he says, no, it's better because I'm sending my spirit to take up residence in your life. He says, when he comes, the spirit, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment in regard to sin because men do not believe in me in regard to righteousness because I'm going to the father where you can see me no longer. I'll just pause there for a moment. What he means by that, and, and this is what Romans 8 is going to unpack through the whole chapter, is that one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit in your life is to simply remind you of, of who you are in Christ. He's going to talk about you are adopted, you're a son or God, you've been forgiven, there is now no condemnation. And as you hear that, as you read that, and as it strikes and lands on your heart and your mind, that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So he's going to do that, he's going to uh, convict you of, uh, of, of righteousness because you have his righteousness. But then look at verse 11, and in regards to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Do you see who's condemned? There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ, but there is one who is condemned, the prince of this world, Satan, the accuser. So here's the great tragedy and irony. The one who is condemned and all of his minions, they are condemned and they want to pull you down and say, you are condemned too. You're condemned. You come with us. And the emphatic word of God to you this morning is no, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, let's keep going or else this will be all morning. So, uh, so verse 2. For the law of the Spirit is life, has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So you, you were condemned, but, but he condemned sin in the flesh. That is just a, a picture of the cross. So on the cross, he took your greed, he took uh, your lust, he took my pride, he took uh, all the things, my idolatry, he, he took all the, the words and all the hatred, all, all the anger, he took all of that and he put it on himself and the Father condemned sin in him. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. It was taken away. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So this is, again, a reminder of our justification. We can never get too far away from our justification because it is the foundation by which everything happens. But how is the grace of justification engaged? It's engaged by grace through faith, trusting in Christ's finished work. And then he shifts to our Sanctification, And again, it's all a work of the Holy Spirit. In verse 4, in order that 
the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The righteous requirements of the law. So when you were rescued and redeemed, when you were brought into the kingdom of the son God loves and you were given his righteousness, it wasn't as if God said, well, it's all good now. Do whatever you want. Pursue your idolatry. Pursue your lust. Pursue your greed. No, he says, you can't do it in yourself. You don't have the capacity in your flesh to obey the law, but I can put my spirit in you because the law is ultimately good. It is meant to lay out a pattern for the flourishing of humanity. So in, in the spirit, when the spirit takes up residence in our lives, he says, it's in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. So so it was fulfilled for us by Jesus on the cross, but by the Holy Spirit, it is now fulfilled in us. When we walk in step with the law, when we don't commit adultery, when we honor our parents, when we don't lie, when we we don't uh, go into idolatry, all those things in Christ are accomplished for us by grace, by the Spirit of God. Well, how are they accomplished? Well, verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And your translation might have a, they have a mindset. And that's a good translation, but it's not quite what, what Paul is getting at. The word is phroneo, and it doesn't just mean I'm going to think rightly, although it's not less than that. It's more than that. It's, going, it's saying I'm going to choose to put my mind, my will, my emotions, my adi- desires on the things that are of the spirit and not of the flesh. In fact, you're in, in any given state, uh, one or the other. It's a mindset. And when your mind is set, you, you are tracking with it, your heart's in it, your spirit's in it, your will's in it, your, your whole being is in it. It makes me think of, um, this might be a little bit of a stretch, but nevertheless, it makes me think of my dogs. Uh, so here we go. They're, they're Labrador retrievers. And right now in this picture, they are retrieving. So on the right, we have Piper. Uh, she, she died a couple years ago, so she's not with us anymore, but we still have Mila. And when, when they know they're going to the park and I'm going to th- throw the ball, something shifts in their mind. Like they are locked in. They're Labrador retrievers. So it doesn't matter if there's a bunch of dogs around. doesn't matter what there is. If there's a ball in it, like you can see Mila on the left. She's locked in. She wishes that ball was in her mouth. Like this is, she set her mind. She has a mindset on being who she is. Uh, I'm going to get that ball. And they would just be all about it. I I could throw that ball until they die because they just, they would want the ball. That's who they are. That's their nature. Labrador retrievers. And what Paul is saying is, in Christ, you have uh, the Spirit of God, and he is, uh, he is all about the things of God. When we set our mind on the things of God, it's like, our, it's like we're Mila looking at the ball saying, I want that. I, I want the good things of God. But when we have our things set in our old nature, our, our sinful nature, your translation might say, it'd be like, I want what's for me. I, I want my ease. I want my comfort. I want people to serve me. I, I, I want to do, you know, whatever the things are, the flesh, uh, that's what you're going to be tracked in. And what Paul's saying is some set their minds on the things of the spirit, like tracking with the spirit. That's where my, that's what I want. I want to know that. I want to, I want to feel that. I want to desire that. I want my will to be in line with that. And others 
or like, I just want to be in the spirit. There it is. That's where the battle is fought. Well, he goes on and explains a little bit more in verse six. For the, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. They actually have eternal implications. If we're going to set our mind on the flesh, it's going to lead to death. It's going to lead to uh, physical death. It's going to lead to death in relationships. It's going to lead to all sorts of death in our lives when we just live for ourselves, for our glory, for our pleasure, for all those things. But when we lay down those things and we live as a citizen of the kingdom and set our mind on the spirit, there is life Life in our relationships, life in our city, life in our home, life in our souls, and there is peace. There is peace. Verse 7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And again, in any given moment, believer, you have the choice. Am I going to set my mind on the spirit and walk in step with the Spirit, or am I going to set my mind on the flesh and walk in step with the flesh? And they end somewhere. Both of those paths end somewhere. And this is what Paul's saying. So this is justification, but uh, I mean sanctification, but even that is by grace, if you see. It's the Spirit's life in us. So, so the grace of sanctification is engaged when we set our mind on the things of the Spirit, when we take an intentional moment by moment and press on towards the things of the Spirit. Then he's going to talk about our future sense of our glorification, and that's going to be by grace, and that's going to be by the Spirit. By the way, it was the Spirit who uh, brought you to justification in the first place. The Spirit brought us from death to life and, and opened our eyes and opened our hearts to see and savor the gospel of Jesus, made us alive in Him. The Spirit is what, what controls us in this present sense where there is now no condemnation, and the Spirit is what will bring us home to glory. Look at verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of Christ dwells in you. So he says, this is the, the, the mark of, Christ, of a Christian. The mark of a Christian is they've been regenerated by the Spirit, and they are now indwelt by the Spirit. This is amazing. This is the promise of God from the beginning. Not that I'll be with you, but I will be in you. I will dwell with you uh, forever. This is, he's not coming by for a visit. He's taking up residence in our very souls with us. Says anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. In the moment that you turn and trust in Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit and you belong to Him. This is the mark of Christianity. And it's in the belonging to Him, it's in the presence of Him that is going to take us on into glory. It was by grace we were saved, we are being saved by grace, we will be saved by grace. Look at verse 10. It says, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also, future tense, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I think we need to just pause and ponder why Paul went there. What is he getting at there? Think about it for a moment. Think about the connections he's trying to make. 
Think about the assurance. So this, this passage, chapter 8, is actually not so much about our sanctification. It's about our perseverance and our assurance in the faith. Here's what he's saying. Think about this. If the Spirit who raised Christ from the dead... This is the same Spirit who, in Genesis 1, with the, in the triune God, speaks and the universe comes into existence. He's saying, think about that. Think about the kind of power that is available to you who lives inside you and wants to live his life through you. The Spirit who came to Jesus' dead, lifeless body and filled him, regenerated him, uh, renewed him, and brought him to life. He says, that Spirit is in you. Shouldn't that change everything? He's like, and if that spirit was so good at at taking Jesus who took on all the sin of the world and paid all the penalty and brought him from death to life, that same spirit can handle your issues. He he can take you to glory, but he can also handle your issues. You and I in our flesh are powerless to actually have victory for any uh, real sins over our sin, but the spirit can do it. That's easy for the spirit. God's saying, hey, I can raise Jesus from the dead. Hey, I live in you. And, and I want you to uh, understand that. I want you to engage that. His spirit is a person. There's a relationship there. We want to engage in the power and the presence of the spirit because that's where victory is now and forever. The spirit who raised Christ from the dead will also give your life, give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So how do we apply this? How do we apply this? Well, I think... I think chapter 8, these verses, it's going to continue to roll on. There's going to be more application through chapter 8. But I think just with these verses that we saw this morning is that we, we engage with the Spirit today and we trust the Spirit for tomorrow. We engage with the Spirit today and we trust the Spirit for tomorrow. So, so he who rose Christ from the dead will raise you from the dead. You, you are secure in that. Just trust in him. The, the power of God is in you. You can trust in him. You don't have to fret. There is now no condemnation. You can engage that. So, so the way that the, 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 the engagement of grace happens in our glorification is just to trust in the presence, the power of the Spirit to take you home. But the other one is to understand that this is a, a, a person. It's not just a power, it's a person taking up residence in your life. A person that that invites you into relationship to engage with him. So, I didn't know if I was going to do this, but I I mean, Michaela, should I do this? I should do this? Okay. I'm just just working to try to help you understand how this happens. So, maybe, maybe you've seen, maybe you've been on TikTok. Anyone been on TikTok? Instagram Reels, got your Reels? Maybe you've seen the original on uh, Family Feud for the woman. Well, let me, just, let me just see if I can. I think I got this here. Let me see here. Hold on. Okay. Holy Spirit, activate. Have you seen this? Come on. Holy Spirit, activate. 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 All right, let's go. Okay, so... Uh, so it gets tied with a whole bunch of bad videos, all that stuff. But, but actually, the idea is not that terrible. Like, I've seen some of the reels, like when, you're, when your husband does something terrible to you, and you gotta, you got to just press on, and, and then they say, Holy Spirit, activate. But it's this idea, like, man, in my flesh, in my flesh, I can't do this. I don't have any strength in myself, but it's, a, it's an awareness that there is Spirit of God who raised Christ from the dead is in me, and I'm going to ask him to activate. 
I'm going to ask him to live his life in me. It's not bad. Maybe that's just not your jam. So uh, maybe you're more of like a, uh, a hip-hop guy. There you go. Whatever you're saying, you could put country music in there. I, I don't care. The, the idea is just like, man, I don't have to do this on my own. In fact, I cannot do this on my own. And so moment by moment, we're just saying, Holy Spirit, I need you. I, I want your power. I want your presence in my life in this situation. My flesh is railing against this. What I want to say to this person at work right now, Holy Spirit, you got to activate because that would, that would bring death. But I want life in my job. Uh, you know, whatever the case may be. Let, let us not be afraid of the Spirit. The Spirit has taken up residence in our lives. That'd be weird if you lived with someone and you never talked to them. He, he's taken up residence in our lives. So he, here's the other thing. I said, let's trust Him for tomorrow. Let's engage Him today. Sometimes we, we, we t- I talk to people and they're like, I just want to know what God's will is for my life next year or in five years or 10 years. And those are good questions. Like, I'm not saying don't ask those questions and, and set your life on a trajectory in that way. But, but, but the Spirit is present now. A better question than what's God's will five years from now in my life would be what's God's will in the next five minutes? That's how you engage and activate the Holy Spirit, right? What's God's will for the next time? I'm going into this store, grocery store. What's your will? I think it's just to get some orange juice, but you might want to do something. So live your life through me. I'm going into this job. I'm going to have this conversation with my children. I'm going to go across the street and just say hi to my neighbor. I don't even know what to say, but, but you live in me, so will you... Will you show me what that looks like? It's this constant, just awareness of, I want to walk in the Spirit. I want to set my mind on the things of the Spirit. Finally, I I think that this passage tells us something for a church, for for, for Redemption Parker. I I think it it says there, there should be a radical difference in our lives because the Spirit lives in us than doesn't. Think about it. Put it negatively. If we were to wake up tomorrow and we found out, uh, actually, Romans chapter 8 isn't true at all. There is no spirit. Would your life look any different? Would your desires look any different? It should look radically different. We want to be a church that comes to the end of our days and we look back and we cannot explain our life. You cannot explain just, I, I just managed my way through life and I got the American dream and got a nice family, got a nice house and died just like everyone else. We want to live our lives that says, man, what, what happened there, I'm not quite sure, but it was God and it was not me. Paul put it this way. We want to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So what would that look like? If we, what would it look like just actively engaging the Spirit and following the Spirit? And finally, The mission of Redemption Parker depends on us understanding Romans chapter 8 and living and walking in this. We exist to make disciples for the glory of God and the joy of all people. We cannot do that on our own. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. So so if, if our city is going to encounter the living God of the universe, it's going to take us and the other spirit filled Christians in this city going out in the power of the Spirit, make disciples for His glory and for our joy. To that end, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Holy Spirit, we we thank you that you live inside of us. 
And you delight to live your life through us, to to live a life that obeys your law and walks in the flourishing that you've set for us. I pray, Father, that uh, you would just show us this week how to engage you, how to moment by moment walk in step with the Spirit and not in step with the flesh, Lord. Lord, I pray again for those that maybe came in here feeling condemned. May they feel the grace and mercy and peace of God through your word this morning. We ask in Jesus' name.